turning in our Bibles this evening to our Focus 52 chapter, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter number 7. How many of you were blessed by the word Sunday evening? Was that not just fantastic? We were so very blessed to have the ministry of Brother Andreasen here with us, and uh, we enjoyed spending a couple of days with he and his precious daughter. And uh, very thankful to be connected with the work of God throughout the entire world. I wish that we would have had time to share with you some of the things that God is doing in Norway on Sunday night. But the, the presence of God was just so rich and the timing was right. It was time for the word of God to be released in this house. And uh, I made up in my mind on Sunday night that there were just some things in my life that I wasn't going to spend one more night with. Amen. I wasn't going to spend one more night with the frogs. I was just going to give it over to God and let him do what he wants to do with us. I sincerely believe that there are programs that can help people, and we need those programs. And I would never, ever take away from the power of planning and the programs and how they work. But I sincerely do believe tonight with all my heart that the greatest step to deliverance is not in a 12-step program. It's in a made-up mind. It's in a made-up mind that you're tired of living with the frogs. And you want God to make a difference in your life. Now, if you need help and encouragement along the way, we want you to do that. And we encourage you to do that. But I've seen people try to do 12, 12 other steps that didn't work. That when they backed up and just took a few steps from their pew to this altar, it changed everything. Amen. I believe, I believe you are one decision away. From a completely different life. Did anybody here believe that with your pastor tonight? I know some people struggle with things and it takes them a while to give it up. But there are people in this house that can testify to the fact tonight that whenever you're ready to live for God, He can take the taste of things out of your mouth. He can take the desire for things out of your life. He can do it. I'm telling you, He can do it. And I believe it. And He's going to get the glory for it. Praise God. The book of Deuteronomy, if you would, tonight, chapter 7. This chapter is such a blessing to me this week. It's caused me to question my humanity several times and, and my faithfulness to God. And I think sometimes taking self-inventory is a good thing for us. To say, just search me, God, and know me. If you find anything in me that's not pleasing or contrary to you, then... Let's get that taken care of because I want you to work in me. Amen? Amen. So let's take a look tonight at our focus verse for the week. And then uh, I don't know exactly where we're going to end up tonight. But I just want to kind of do some expository teaching or preaching, however this ends up tonight. But Deuteronomy chapter 7, and verse number 9. And let's read this together. Know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God. The faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Know that the Lord thy God, he is God. He is God. The faithful God. Somebody shout faithful. Woo, I don't know, it feels pretty good in here for a Wednesday night. Your God, He is God, He is the faithful God. And He is a covenant-keeping God with them that keep His commandments. As I read this verse this, this week, read through this chapter this week, at random times I've just been driving down the road, sitting with a cup of coffee, and I turn on my audio Bible and let this chapter read to me because... I asked the Lord to speak to me this week. I said, I want you to speak something to me. And every time I get to this verse right here, the Lord your God, he is God, he is faithful. And he keeps covenant with those that keep his commandments. This is what keeps screaming out to me, and this is what I'm going to teach tonight. God is faithful. Are you? God is faithful. Are you? You may be seated. Now let me set your mind at ease tonight and tell you 
that God in his tender mercy this week has dealt deeply and, and greatly with my spirit, but without reprimand. The Lord has not smitten me this week by saying, you're not faithful. He has gently asked me some things this week to search my heart and to be certain that I am faithful. Now, there's a lot of things in life they say that are, that are pretty certain. Taxes are certain. Death is certain. There's some things that are certain in life. But even those have variables. Because I can make foolish decisions and make death come quicker than it should have came. I can act foolishly and not pay my taxes. And even though they're sure to come, if I don't pay them, there's some different endings to that story. You understand that? But there is a constant in my life that it doesn't matter what I do, I just can't change him. And that is God. The thing that we must understand about God is God does not just love. God does not love as in what you and I think love. You know, understand, I, I get the scripture that God loves us. I, I understand that from beginning to the end. God loves us. But it's not the kind of love that you and I say when we look at each other and say, hey, I love you, man. Right. It's different than that. Because my nature is not love. Right. I have to work at love. Come on, somebody, you can be honest. I have to work at love. It's very difficult for me sometimes to obey those little red letters that I, I despise. I love to stand up and say, oh, I really want to be like Jesus. And then I get in those red letters that says, love them that hate you. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that despitefully use you. And I'm like, Psh. What? But they need a piece of my mind. He said, no, they don't. They need the other cheek. It's hard, folks. It's one thing to preach it. It's another thing to live it. When you have to be kind and let your light shine when it don't feel like you want your light to shine. Come on now. I can't get a witness up in here right now. Sometimes you don't want to let your light shine because you're afraid if people know. I, I, I heard a story the other day. I won't, I won't even tell you who it was because I don't even know if he's a, he preaches on TV, but I don't even know if the story was true. He told this story about uh, going into a car dealership and he was in with his brother-in-law and sister or, or sister-in-law and brother, whichever. It was family. And they said, hey, you're a wheeler and dealer. Come in with us and, and help us get a deal on our car. So he, he went in and the car salesman was trying to talk to his, his brother and sister, however that worked. And uh, he was answering all the questions. When the, when the car dealer would say such and such, he would give the response. And he said, the car dealer looked up and said, what are you, their financial advisor? He said, it made me mad. Because I told the guy, I said, you're not giving them any deal. I used to be a car dealer. I know you're not giving them any deal. And so, long, long story short, the conversation escalated. And this dude that's telling the story, he said, I got in that car dealer's face and I slammed him up against the truck that was in the show, on the showroom floor. He said, I drew back my fist and was getting ready to hit him in the jaw. When my brother-in-law standing behind me said, yeah, you don't want to mess with him. He's a pastor. He said, I was like, no, 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 don't tell him that now. Well, while I'll tell you that pastors put on their britches the same way that you do and we're humanity, I, you got to work on love. And I don't care who you are, you got to work on love. And there's going to come a time in your life that loving people is going to be difficult. Our precious brother that's gone on to be with the Lord now, some of you would remember him, Brother Gene Ebright. 
was pastoring in Mishawaka, Indiana, and pastored there for many, many years, pastored his father's church. He's gone on to his reward now, but he had a unique way about him. He had that Milwaukee accent mixed in with some South Bend in it, had a real deep voice. And one night, this woman walked into the church in Mishawaka, and she was holding a rabbit and petting her rabbit. So somebody came to Brother Ebright and said, Pastor, you got to go look. There's a woman in the sanctuary, and she's, walking, she's, she's got a rabbit. She's, she has a pet rabbit in the sanctuary. So Brother Ebright walked over there to her, and he walked up to the pew. And I wish you would have known him if you don't, but... Brother Ebright walked up to her and he said, what are you doing? She said, I'm petting my rabbit. And he said, well, don't be letting that thing down in here. And he walked away and he went to the prayer room and they said, Brother Ebright walked into the prayer room and he raised his hands and looked up towards heaven and he said, God, I don't know why you keep sending me all these kooks. If you're ever going to love people, you're going to come to a tough season in life where it's tough to love people. But you are looking at a man tonight who is so grateful that even when I was difficult to love, that God just keeps right on loving me. It's not just because he chooses to love me. It's because it's his nature. God does not just love, God is love. It is his very nature. It is the essence of who he is. God is love. And because of his love towards us, God is faithful. God is always faithful. God is faithful when it doesn't feel like he's faithful. God is faithful when I'm sick. God is faithful when I'm healed. God is faithful when I have plenty and God is faithful when I have few. But the greatest revelation that you will ever get in your sorrow is that God is faithful not because he takes away sorrow but because he walks in sorrow with us. The prophet said that he was wounded for our transgression. Not his. Bruised for our iniquity. Not his. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Think about that. His wounding was for my transgression. His bruising was for my iniquity. The chastisement of my peace was upon him and my healing comes from his stripes. He's faithful. He's faithful. Now I'm not going to tell you there haven't been times in my life that I haven't stood up and said, okay, God, where are you? Right? It's raining pretty hard here, Lord. I, I, I could use a little bit of help. And all of a sudden, I find that gentle, faithful reminder in the word, Son, I'm not against you because it's raining. It rains on the just and it rains on the unjust. Quit blaming the rain and saying that the rain is the evidence of God not being faithful. The truth is you're going to go through some things. You're going to live through some things. You're going to have to outlive some things. But just because we go through things does not mean that God is not faithful. God cannot not be faithful. He cannot stop being faithful. He is always faithful. He's always faithful. He's always faithful. He is mindful of us. You don't have to get in this book and read very far to find out the nature of God is faithfulness. As a matter of fact, if you jump into the the Genesis account, I won't spend a lot of time here because i got to get where I'm going pretty quickly tonight. But the nature of God is revealed in his creation account. Somebody shout faithful. faithful. 
In the creation account, if you look over the six-day period that God created, he did it with specific order. Everything that God created today, he created for what he was creating tomorrow. In other words, he created today what tomorrow was going to need. Does that make sense? So in the first five days, he created everything that man would need. And on the sixth day, he created man. So he created today what tomorrow would need. Why would God do that? Because he's faithful. And he made sure that everything your tomorrow would need, you have today. Some of you are worried about how you're going to make it through tomorrow. But I want to remind you tonight that God is faithful. And the way you're going to make it through your tomorrow is the same way that you've made it through your today. When you woke up this morning and took that first cognizant breath into your body, it was God that put that breath there. Let me slow down with that just a little bit right there. Anybody in here have to keep reminding yourself to breathe? Is there anybody here that about every 30 seconds you just smack yourself on the face? You dummy, you need to breathe. No, I don't do that. You know why I don't forget to breathe? Because God's faithful. When I get up in the morning, we, you can take a lot of things for granted. You get up in the morning, you put your feet on the ground. You don't have to say, okay, right leg, you're going first. Left leg, then you're going to go. And be sure, big toe, that you keep yourself stable so that this man don't fall over. We don't have to tell our spine what to do. We don't have to say, hey, I need this vertebra to react and I need that to respond because this is what I need, the movement. I No, no, no. God's faithful. We get up in the morning, we put our feet on the floor, and we walk. And my, some of my first motion in the morning is to walk and bounce off the door and bounce off the hallway, get down the hall and get to the coffee pot. That's where the will of God is every morning. The will of God will meet you at the coffee well in the morning. Amen. Somebody just shout hallelujah. And I take that first sip of coffee in the morning and I say God is faithful. I don't have to remind myself how to move and how to react and how to respond. I, don't, I can't stay here forever. But I'm trying to get a point to you tonight. It's not because of what I've done or how I fixed it or how I work it. He's just faithful. And he, he just works. There's things in my life that just happen and it, and it works. You don't have to understand how he does everything or why he does everything. You just need to be grateful and know tonight that he does it and he's faithful. And because he's faithful, we are blessed. Amen. But there is another element of God, and I could spend all night preaching about his faithfulness. I really could. I could tell you stories. I could tell your stories tonight. Not like you can, but I could tell your stories tonight of how faithful God has been. And we could spend all night talking about his faithfulness and the characteristic of his love, his patience, and his faithfulness. I want to talk to you about a characteristic of God that very few ever deal with. And this is an unchanging Yes, he's faithful. Yes, he's patient. Yes, he's loving. But God is jealous. He's a jealous God. He's so jealous that he said, I won't share my glory with anybody else. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to share a a throne with somebody else. I'm I'm not. I'm not going to do it. I want you to love me. Let's, Let's have a little quiz. It's Wednesday night. Can we do that? Let's have a little quiz. We talk about the big ten, the ten commandments. What's the first commandment? Come on, say it, Brother Miller. Thou shalt have no no other God. He's pretty jealous. Now, there is a misconception about God. I'm going to spend just a few minutes here teaching and then I think we may get excited because I got excited today when I was working on this. There's a misconception about God that just because God speaks something that he owes it to me. So let me break down some really practical pastoral teaching for you right here and I want to help you with something, okay? There are people that call themselves prophets and I don't have to preface this tonight. You all know your pastor believes in the fivefold ministry. I believe in the prophetic. Yes. 
I want it to function and operate in this church. I believe in it. But I will also declare to you tonight that not everything that calls itself a prophet is a prophet. Okay? So let's just settle that. I believe in the prophetic gifts, how they work. I believe they can foretell. I believe they can foreshadow. I believe they can tell things of where we've been, things of where we're going, because he knows the end from the beginning. Okay? So that's all on the table. I believe that. But let's talk about how the prophetic works. We're not going to spend a lot of time on the gifts of the Spirit, but I want to get this in your spirit. There are people that call themselves prophets, and all they do is prophesy prosperity. And they will say things like, if you'll sow $250 into this ministry, then God's going to do this for you. Okay, well, you know what? I, if God speaks that, hey, let's do it. I've had God speak things to me that sounded crazy. Real, real, real crazy. I've had God speak to me in the middle of service and tell me to empty my savings account. So you know what I did? I emptied my savings account. Guess what? Never missed a meal. I've had God do those things. But I don't believe that just because somebody walks up to you and says, if you'll sow into this ministry, God's going to give you a Bentley. I'm sorry, I just... I, I just don't buy that. No. When every prophetic word that comes out of their mouth is sown to this ministry and God will give you a new house. That, that is not how God works. But let's say that it is a word ordained of God. Okay? So let's scratch the counterfeit out and say that it is a word from God. And let's say tonight that God gives you a prophetic word and it happens and... And I come up to you, Brandon, and I say, Brother Brandon, the Lord dealt with me in prayer today and said he wants to bless you financially. I know you would receive that because you love your pastor. And I could tell you, thus saith the Lord, God has a blessing for you, has a job for you, blah, blah, blah. Go down through the whole list. And then you walk out of the house of God and you say, well, God promised me a financial blessing, so because he did, I'm just going to wait. I don't have to pay my tithe anymore. I don't have to give an offering anymore. God spoke it, and it's coming. How many of you think that God is bound to give you that financial blessing if you stop doing your part? Let's take it a step further. Prophetic word comes to you. There's a great anointing on your life. God has anointed you. He wants you to preach the word. He wants you to be a prophet to the nations. He wants you to be a missionary. He wants you to be an evangelist. He wants you to be blah, blah, blah. Whatever it is he wants you to be. And you're a young man moved of God. Maybe your name is Jeremiah. And before you were formed in your mother's womb, God knew you and he ordained you to be the prophet to the nations. But when Jeremiah gets 15 years old and that good looking woman comes walking down the, the hallway of his local school. And he says, well... I've already been anointed. God's hand is upon me. It doesn't matter if I fornicate. Uh-oh. If Jeremiah spends his entire life fornicating rather than weeping, do you think the destiny of that prophet would be different? The principle that I've got to get into your spirit tonight is that just because God says, I'm going to do this for you, does not mean that he has to do that for you if you're not faithful to your end of the deal. Does anybody here tonight know that he's a protector? Anybody here know he can keep the devourer from your door? Does anybody know the word of God says he'll do that? In Malachi 3, he says, I'll do that. I'm not teaching on tithing tonight, so don't, don't misunderstand me. But Malachi 3... He said the, the opening of the windows of heaven and the keeping away of the devourer from your door was based on you bringing your tithing into the storehouse. So if I don't keep my end of the bargain, God does not have to bless me according to his word because I am not living in accordance to his word. And I'll step out just a little bit further before I move on and say that does not make God a liar. It makes me unfaithful. It's tight in here right now. That just went from happy to tight pretty quick. God 
is not bound to his word and his covenant if I continually break the covenant. So, where does this fit with us as a body, as a church? There are great prophetic words in the womb of this church. Powerful. Oh, God. Man, when I think of it, when I think of the things that God's shown me, I'm not even, I'm not even talking about the words that other men have put in this church. I'm talking about the things that have happened to me in this sanctuary. I was laying on the floor right about where Brother Sawyer's standing one night. It was really, really late. I was in here praying. The lights were, were very dim. There was just a, like one or two little rows of lights on at that time. I'd been deep in prayer. And I, I looked up into the heavens. I had tears in my eyes. And I looked up in this black ceiling. And it was like I could see all the way through it. Like the ceiling was not there. And as I just continued to seek God, I was like, Lord, what in the world's going on? And way in the distance, I could see, I could see what looked like a, a big cape type uh, garment coming down. And it was spinning very slowly and it came into view. And as it came down just above this church, the, the entire mantle spun around. The Lord let me know it was a mantle as it spun around. Written across the back of it, it said A-C-T-S. The Lord said, I desire to place a book of Acts mantle on this church. For miracles, signs, and wonders, and healings, and the principles that are in the book of Acts. Well, obviously, man, I, I felt, I was, oh God, I wanted, you know, God, give it to me. I want to tell you right now, God does not owe this church that if we don't love truth. It is our faithfulness to God that brought that word to this church. And it will be the faithfulness of this church that fulfills that word in this church. Just because prophetic greatness has been spoken into the womb of this church, God is not obligated to give us harvest. He is not obligated to make this a place of healing. He is not obligated to make this a place where His glory dwells. He is waiting on the church of the living God to say, Lord, we will receive the word with gladness. We will receive the prophecy with gladness. And we will respond to your word with gladness. So, let's work through this chapter very quickly. It is 7.57, so we're going, to move, we're going to move very quickly tonight. Thank God nobody said amen really loud. Sister Lisa, I talked bad about you preaching Tennessee camp last week. I said that there was a man in our church that I was preaching, Brother Vaughn. And I said, I'm quickly coming to a close. And Brother Vaughn said, preach on, Pastor, preach another hour. And Sister Lisa grabbed him by the shirt and pulled him down in his seat. So we're going to keep this fairly quick tonight if we can. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse number 1. Somebody shout, when. when. This is how the prophecy works. When the Lord thy God shall bring thee into the land, whether thou goest to possess it, and hath cast out many nations before thee, he names them Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. How many nations? Seven. What about these nations? They're bigger than you. You know it's a work of God. God's going to do a work that you couldn't have done without him. That's the prophetic right there. God's going to do it, and when he's finished, you'll know it's him. Let's go on. When the Lord thy God shall deliver them before thee, thou shalt smite them. Utterly destroy them. Here it comes. But you're not going to make any covenants with them. Okay. So here we're going we're to start with our teaching. Are you ready? How many times has God delivered something into your hand and said, okay, it's time to destroy it? But when the destruction comes to your table, you, you, you bring that same thing. And say, okay, God, I believe I can overcome this, but let me sit down at the table of negotiation for a few minutes. Wow. Wow. 
God said, you can do this. Yeah, but God, if, 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 if I do, if I, if I come out of this thing right now, I'm not going to get any more pity. No, nobody's going to feel sorry for me anymore. God, if you bring me out of this, nobody else is going to feel sorry for me. How many things has God tried to deliver you from? That when deliverance comes to your house and you can utterly destroy that thing, you start talking back to God and telling him why you can't be delivered of it. But it's in, it's in my blood. That's what my dad did. That's what my mom did. That's what my, that's what my grandfather did. Lord, Lord I, can't, I can't be delivered of that. And we sit down at the table of negotiation with whatever it was God told us to destroy. And we're like, I'm just going to make a little covenant with this thing. God, I believe that you can, but I really need this thing sometimes. I, re- I, I, I really need this because, God, I get anxious. And if I lay these drugs down, I can never get over this anxiety. I'm going to bring them, and I'm going to put them right here in your hand. And I don't want you making any covenants with him, he said. Don't make any covenants with him. And whatever you do, do not show mercy. A God of mercy telling his children, don't show mercy. This is something that will utterly be destroyed. Why? Because these are seven nations that are possessing your promise. Oh, see, some of, you, some of you just figured out where I'm about to take you. I am trying to remove the things out of your life that are living in your promise right now. But if you start walking through the land with, with 12 spies and you get down there in the land, you say, now, you know what? Them Jebusites, I, I know the Lord said he would destroy them, but do, do you know that there's some good butchers in there? Oh, God, I could preach that all all day long. You could find something good in all seven of those nations that could help you along the way. Somewhere in those, those Hittites, there was somebody that could have been a good blacksmith. Worked on some weapons for you. Worked some things out for you. Somebody Somewhere in there, somebody knew how to bake a loaf of bread. But the Lord said... I don't want them baking your bread. I don't want you having covenant with them. I don't want you finding out how they can bless you and then sitting down at the covenant table with them and say, well, we'll let you stay. He said, if I deliver them into your hands, I want you to destroy them and have no mercy on them. Have no mercy. I got to hurry. Verse 3, brother, thank you. Man, you do a good job. Thank you so much. Neither shalt thou make marriages with them. Thy daughter thou shalt not give unto his son, nor his daughter shalt thou take unto thy son. For they will turn away thy son from following me. That they may serve other gods. What did I tell you? He's kind, he's patient, he's faithful. What else is he? God, look. I believe in flirting to convert. I'm going to flirt to convert. But God, she's fine like that. Young, our young people aren't down here, so it's a good thing because I could pick on them tonight. They're, they're in their own youth service. But I could pick on our young people tonight. You know what? It sounds like an old, you sound like an old fogey preacher when you get up and say, you don't need to be unequally yoked with unbelievers. You preach that all the time. But, but I want you to listen to me. For every one success story you find me, of somebody that dated someone and won them to the Lord, I'll show you 150 people that didn't make it. I know, I know what we think, that we're spiritual enough 
If we can ever get them to sign a marriage license, they'll fall in love with Jesus. Let me, tell you, let me, let me just tell you how that works. Can I, can, I, can I teach you right here? If that sucker's lazy before you marry him, he'll be lazy after you marry him. And if he don't love God before you marry him, he won't love God after you marry him. If he won't work a job before you marry him, he won't work a job after you marry him. You all tell our young people what pastor preached tonight. Yeah. Hope they can hear me up there. Oh, but daddy, he's so pretty. Daddy, she's so pretty. Oh, my goodness, we'd have beautiful children together. And the Lord said, that's the problem. You're going to fall in love? And then your child is going to have a mama that loves this God and a daddy that loves the God. And the kids are going to choose. (laughs) When I bring you into the land that I'm going to take you, that's where we all just want to shout, wow, we're going into promise, we're going into promise, it's going to happen. He said, but I'm going to bring them to you, you're going to destroy them. And don't be keeping them around and falling in love with their wives and their daughters and letting their daughters marry your sons, your sons marry their daughters. It ain't going to happen. And he didn't say don't do it because your kids won't look right. He said don't do it because if you do, they're going to make your kids love other gods. And then they're going to have to be praying for a crop failure. Watch, this is, how, this is how God would have to do this. They'd fall in love with them, satisfy their own flesh, and then God has to come through the people and purge them out again. We've all read the story of Ezra and Nehemiah, right? We've read the story of Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra said, put away your strange wives. Why? Because it's it's easy to find out. The priesthood, the priesthood, oh my God, what's wrong with these guys? Are marrying the Samaritan women that had moved into Jerusalem while the children of Israel were in exile. And they come back into Jerusalem and didn't tell them to leave. Two of them were named Sambal and Tobiah. Remember those names? Come down off that wall. Come down. Why do you want me off the wall? Because the wall is going to be the thing that keeps you out. And the priesthood was marrying the Samaritan women. And it said that the sons of the priest could not even speak the language of the Hebrews. The next generation that was supposed to carry sacrifice to the altar didn't even know how to speak the language of their fathers. Because they were strange wives. And so the Lord is speaking to the children of Israel and he says, look, here's how we're going to work this. Now, I'm I'm fixing to preach to you right here, so just put your seatbelt on. Instead of me having to do a redemptive and healing work, why don't you do preventive work? That's what he said. So that I don't have to come back in there and clean up. When I bring them to your hand to deliver you from them, let's do some preventive work. Bishop Bingham is famous for for saying when you ask him, are you hungry? He'll say, no, but I don't have to be hungry to eat. I believe in preventive maintenance. Man don't even have to be hungry to have a bologna sandwich. Sometimes... Can I get down where you're living right now? Can, can, I, can I just love on you for a minute? Can I tell you, I believe in the delivering power of God, but I don't believe He should always have to be delivering us from things that we could have stopped. Anybody remember the old statement? I, I used to hear it all the time when I was younger. I don't hear it as much anymore, but they said that an ounce of prevention... Is worth a pound of cure. If you'll take care of this before you move into the land, then you don't have to worry about the land when you get there. They will turn away thy son from following me, that they may serve other gods. What's going to happen? The anger of the Lord will be kindled against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus shall you deal with them. Here it comes. This is so powerful. I want you to take down their altars. Everywhere that they worshipped, 
I'm going to deliver them into your hand. They're going to be gone. Don't worry about it. But take down their altars. Break down their images. Cut down their trees. Man, I preached on this years ago about the groves. You know the power of the groves? It was camouflage. They set up their temples for worship in the camouflage of the trees. The Lord said, I want you to take down the altars and I want you to go to the hidden places that people can't see when they walk by because the stuff that's hidden will cause you as much trouble later as the stuff that's out in the open. He said, so go to the secret places, go to the groves, get back in them deep woods where they've built stuff where nobody can see it, private places of worship, get back in the groves and start cutting them down. He said, I want you to cut all of it out. I want you to go to every hidden place and every secret place, every hidden place. Somebody in this house tonight, it would do us good to get in the presence of God and say, Lord, I thank you for working on my attitude and working on the outside. But would you walk through the secret places of my heart? Would you walk through the secret chambers of my life? God, would you walk down the hallways and the corridors of my spirit that nobody else can see and work on the secret places of who I am? It works. Cut down their groves. Burn their graven images with fire. For thou art in holy people. And I want you to stay holy. Pastor, it wouldn't have hurt anything for them to leave the altars there and the groves there because... Nobody was worshiping there anymore. The purpose of moving that stuff out was not being holy. It was staying holy. Not everything you do in your life has to be an A, B, C, D, black and white spelled out thing in chapter and verse in the scripture. If the Holy Ghost convicts you to do something, it may not be about making you holy. It may be about keeping you holy. Not everything you do has to be a heaven or hell. Well, if I go there, you're saying I'm going to hell. No, but it may keep you holy. It may help keep you holy. For thou art holy people. You're holy unto the Lord thy God. The Lord God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself. Above all people that are upon the face of the earth. <laughs> This verse ministered to me so powerfully this week. Verse 7. He said, the Lord did not set his love upon you. Nor choose you. Because you were greater. He said, matter of fact, you were fewer. He didn't love you because you were all that in a bag of chips. He didn't love you because you could whoop anybody that came by. He loved you and put his love on you. He chose you because he knew you'd love him and be faithful. And he put something in you that made you different than everybody else. I want to tell somebody in this house tonight that the devil's tried to tell you God would never choose you because you're not great enough. The devil's a liar. He didn't choose you because you're great. He didn't choose you because you're awesome. He chose you because he could do something with you. If you'll fall in love with his commandments. I sat in my living room late the other night, just weeping, sitting in a dark corner in a chair, just weeping before the Lord, knowing that he didn't choose me because of what I was. He chose me because of the good that he saw in me, something that he could do in my life. But because the Lord loved you and because he would keep an oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand. And redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore, know therefore, that the Lord thy God is God and he's a faithful God. He keeps his covenant and mercy to them which love him and keep his commandments and repayeth them that hate him to their face to destroy them. He will not be slack to him that hateth him. He will repay him to his face. Thou shalt therefore keep the commandments, the statutes, the judgments, 
which I commanded thee this day to do them. Verse 12, we'll work our way out from here. I'm just about finished. It shall come to pass, if you hearken to these judgments and keep and do them, that the Lord thy God shall keep unto thee the covenant and the mercy which he sware unto thy fathers. Here's the principle of the whole chapter. God brought you out and he wants to bring you in. But he needs to be sure that what he brought you out of is out of you before he brings you in. He needs to be sure that just because he got you out of Egypt don't mean he's got Egypt out of you. So the principle is before I let you walk into your promise and possess it, I need to know that you're not going to go cheating on me. I need to know that you're not going to be loving somebody else and letting your kids love somebody else. What are you going to do, Grandpa, when your son marries that woman, the, a Hittite? And you got to love that grandbaby. What are you going to do then? You're going to love it for the sake of fellowship and for the sake of family. He said, so instead of having to make decisions later of what you're going to love, just choose to love me now and forget about it. Let's go in and possess it. First Pentecostal Church, I want to tell you tonight that the promises of God that he has rested upon this church, they are sure to come if we will be faithful to God. I believe every word that's been spoken to this church. I believe right now that we are as close to a breakthrough as we have ever been. I believe that we are so pregnant with expectation and we could start pushing at any time. It's almost like I can feel the water breaking in the womb of this church. But the Holy Ghost is saying to FPC tonight, I've been faithful to you and this is what I want you to do with me. But will you be faithful? So tonight as you stand, I want to ask you this. When we stand and rejoice about 100 soul revivals and we stand and rejoice about 25 soul revivals. Man, what would we do if we baptized 100 people in the next three weeks? I don't know. What have you done with the last 10 we've baptized? Right? We rejoice while they're wet in the water. And then who checks on them? Who loves them? Who takes them out for coffee? Who spends time with them? Who will invest in them? We got, we've gotten in a pattern that we're comfortable to hang out with people of our kind. It's always easier to sit down and talk with somebody that believes the same thing that we believe than it is to sit down with somebody that don't have a clue what you believe. Because they may ask the million dollar question that you don't have an answer to. So you know what I say? Let them ask the question and you figure out the answer. Well, what if I don't have the answer? I can call pastor. Probably not. I'll put you on the phone with my wife. She's a real anointed preacher in the house. I want to rejoice when I hear the words echo in my spirit. Revival center. Healing center, epicenter of the miraculous. I rejoice in that. I hear it all the time. When I pray, Brother Stephen, I hear it. God wants to make this an epicenter of revival. He wants to make it an epicenter of healing. I rejoice with that. I thank God for that. But this is what I want to know. How in the world are we going to rejoice over a hundred being healed if we're not healing one? Look. I want to see a hundred soul harvest, but you know what I really want to see? I want to see God put a burden in our spirit and our family start working on one. What would happen if by next summer, I don't know exactly without looking at our records, I can tell you somewhere in the neighborhood of about uh, 85 to 90 family units that we have in this church, divided up by how many giving units that we have in this church, somewhere around 85 or 90. Could you imagine? If every family, every unit in this church would love one soul and make that your love for the next, for the next year till next summer, invest in them. I'm not talking about just inviting them to church. No, no, don't, don't miss me. 
I'm talking about loving people. That, that, that young person that you say hello to every morning when you go get breakfast, it's waiting your table or, or you're giving the money to, they're pouring your coffee. Love them. Love. Invest in them. I'm, I'm funny. I don't change much. I like to go to the same place to get my hair cut. I like to eat breakfast at the same places. You know why? Because it's my mission field. My wife used to call me and check on me. I'd, I'd be at the gym. I'd be at the gym three or four hours. She'd call, honey, you still working out? No. But you're late for dinner. I know. But I've been loving somebody. Love people that never darkened the doors of this church. People that have never bowed a knee at the altar of this church. But before I can ever rejoice about a hundred soul revival, God's got to put something in us to love one soul. God's got to put something in us to love people. And if we can't love our brother that's in the church, how in the world are we going to love people that are outside the church? Hey, I, I tell you what. It's a settled fact tonight. We know by the book that God is faithful. But can I ask you the question that the Lord has asked me this week? Are you faithful? Are you faithful to what God has asked you to do? Are you faithful to His plan for your life? Are you faithful to what He has called you to become? Are you being faithful to what He's called you to do? While expecting Him to be faithful to everything He's promised. I want us right now where we are. I feel the Holy Ghost on this Wednesday night. I want us to just close our eyes. As the Holy Ghost is calling us deeper in this place tonight. I want you to just ask the Spirit of God to survey your heart right now. And I want you to ask God in this place right now. Lord, have I been faithful to what you've called me to do? Lord, I'm standing fast on your word and believing that you're going to bring us through. And that you're going to give us revival. And that every prophetic word that's in this church is going to come to pass. But am I a part of the reason why I haven't seen it fulfilled yet? Is there a lack in my life, Lord, that would keep me from fulfilling your great promises in my life? I want us to just pray the psalm right now as the psalmist did. If there be anything in me, create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit, O God. Search us and know us tonight, Jesus. God, I want you to search this church, but I want you to search their shepherd. I want you to search my heart. I want you to search me and know me, I pray. God, I would never ask this congregation to do something that I'm not willing to do. I want you to search me and know me. God, if I'm a hindrance in this church to what you're trying to do I want you to reveal it to me I want to, I want to see it come to pass you've been faithful to us I want to be faithful to you I want to give you my best I want to honor you with the fruit of my lips and the fruit of my life in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus in the name of Jesus if you're thankful for the word of the Lord tonight would you clap your hands and shout amen <laughs> praise God